Well, tonight, Daniel chapter 6, we're going to walk our way through this passage this evening, and let's pray before we do. Father, we do pray that you would open your word to us tonight. We pray that it would not fall on deaf ears, that you would speak to us with your still, small voice, and that we would hear from you. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior, enthroned on high. Amen. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. The stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, 
and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. And though the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Chapter 5 ended with Belshazzar being killed and Darius the Mede taking the throne and ascending to the throne. And at the beginning of chapter 6, we find Darius the Mede appointing over all of the kingdom 120 satraps that would rule over the kingdom. They would govern these different provinces. And then he set three men over these 120 satraps. And those 120 satraps would report to these three men. And Daniel was one of these three men. No small honor. You think about a man who is in exile, is not part of that nation, and yet was a man that was held in such high esteem as Darius says here. He is impressed with Daniel because of an excellent spirit was in him. And so not only did he set him there as the three over the 120, but after a time Darius looked and he he decided that he would make Daniel himself the one above the others because he had such an excellent spirit within him. And he was going to make him a prime minister of sorts as he was the king. Now, before we look at this text, we have to address a problem that is often brought up when you get to Daniel chapter 6. It is the problem of Darius. And if you uh, run into critical scholars or you're on the campus of Michigan State University in the religion department, they will bring this up. Darius is mentioned nowhere outside of the Bible. There is no historical evidence outside the Bible of a king by the name of Darius that reigned over the Medes and the Persians. 
And this fact, along with the account of Daniel here being cast into the lion's den in chapter 6, is put together and people say, well, clearly this is a fictional account and it can't be an account that truly happened within history. In addition to this, there are historical records that have Cyrus's general, Ugbaru, conquering Babylon, and no mention is made of Darius. And yet, we must acknowledge that Daniel provides information about Darius here at the beginning of this chapter, and he does so again at the beginning of chapter 9, and he provides all kinds of historical information because Daniel understands this to be history, history that he lived in. So, what is the answer? Well, there are three possibilities, and I prefer the first, but there are three possibilities when it comes to the Darius problem. The first is that Darius could be Agbaru. It was not uncommon for people to have two names during this time or in the time to come. And Agbaru was the general of Cyrus who conquered Babylon when Cyrus was called to another region of the empire. And we know that from history that Agbaru reigned in Babylon for about a year before he was transferred somewhere else under the power of Cyrus. And this seems likely, if for no other reason, that Daniel only mentions Darius here at the very beginning of his reign. He only mentions him in this very first year. Furthermore, in chapter 9, verse 1, Darius is said to have been made king. It's in a passive tense. It isn't that he arose to kingship or secured the kingship, but he was made king. And so that would fit very well with him being appointed as a kind of vassal king rather than as securing the kingdom for himself. That's the option I lean towards. But the second option is that Darius is also is the same person as Cyrus. This seems like a likely possibility as well. The key verse here would, of course, be verse 28. You see there in verse 28 in the ESV, it's translated, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You could take that conjunction there, and you could take it in a different sense, and it could be taken as that is. And so the verse would read this way. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is, during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius and Cyrus the Persian being the same individual. The third view is that we just don't know who Darius was. We don't know. And that is also a possibility. Though I tend to think Agbaru is the answer. We must remember, though, that for centuries, scholars said that Belshazzar, the king before this one that we met, that he didn't exist. There was no historical record anywhere of Belshazzar outside of the Bible. And scholars knew without a shadow of a doubt that Belshazzar never existed in history. And yet, we come to 1854, and all of a sudden, four clay cylinders are found, and they have identical inscriptions on them, excavated from Ur, and these cylinders contain Nabonidus' prayer to the moon god for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring. Scholars always said that Nabonidus was the last king in the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and here you have 
Nabonidus offering up prayers for his son, Belshazzar. And then in 1882, a translation of another ancient cuneiform text, which said that Nabonidus was a mostly absentee king. He spent nearly 10 years of his 17-year reign in Arabia. And he left Belshazzar, his oldest son, whom the text calls his crown prince, to take care of affairs in Babylon during that time. And then there are discoveries after discoveries after discoveries after that. All this to say that one time scholars said Belshazzar never existed. They were absolutely sure of it. You now ask scholars of the ancient Near East and they will say they know that Belshazzar existed. They're absolutely sure of it. Time and again, what the scriptures record as history is proven to be history. Over and over and over. It's a true historical record, even as we spoke about this morning. Now for the text. We have a text in which Daniel is pointed out over and over in the text for his consistent faithfulness. It just kind of jumps off the page on on section after section in this chapter. So that's what I want to look at this evening. First, Daniel is consistently faithful, though all changes around him. Daniel is consistently faithful, though all changes around him. We see this. Daniel has lived through these different emperors, these different kings. He's lived through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. He's lived through the reign of Belshazzar. And now he's living through the reign of Darius. The great kings of the earth change, but Daniel's faithfulness does not change. Everything is changing around him, but his faithfulness doesn't change. He continues to fight the good fight of faith. And because of that, the kingdom of darkness continues to assault him. It also does not change. The kingdom of darkness continues to keep the target on God's people. We are always on in its target. If you continue to walk in faith, you will continue to be attacked in your faith. And we see that with Daniel here in the text. And so these enemies of God and God's people seek to undo the plan of Darius to exalt Daniel. They want to find something against him. But they can't find anything. They can't find any charge to bring against him. He's a man of character. And though they scheme and though they plot and though they spy on him, they can't come up with anything. The language about him in this chapter language I wish could be used of each of us in this room. Verse 4, that they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. If our employers and our fellow employees and our neighbors and our family members could say that about us. And so they hatch a plot to catch him according to his faithfulness. They know him to be faithful, and maddeningly so. It makes him mad. He's faithful, and he continues to be faithful. Other people could say that more of us. And so, they seek to use his consistent faithfulness against him. I was reading this text this week and thinking, you know, Satan's playbook, it never changes. Just the times change. It's the same playbook over and over. We see it today as 
Christian businesses and Christian politicians and Christian speakers are set up to either endorse what is unlawful according to God's law or to remain faithful. And the enemies of the gospel are banking upon the Christian remaining faithful. They can't bring any other charge. So they're banking upon the Christian to remain faithful according to the law of God. And they want to see where the law of God runs up against the law of men. And they expect and they want the Christian to remain faithful to the law of God. So then they can destroy them. It's such a plot that these enemies of Daniel implement. And it's such a plot that's coming to churches and coming to Christians and in our day and age. You notice, as enemies of God are prone to do, they lie. They say that all the high officials in the kingdom, all the satraps and all the prefects and all the counselors and the governors are agreed that there should be an ordinance that's passed like this and that no person should be able to offer prayer or offer praise to any God or any man besides the king for 30 days, but it's a lie. Daniel is the chief official. He doesn't agree. And then they take that lie and they multiply it by what people who are prone to do, bring flattery to come to bear. You deserve it, Darius. Darius is a weak man. He is not like Daniel. He's not a man of constitution. He's not a man of character. He gives in quickly to the flattery. He's caught up with his pride and his ego and he agrees and he makes this irrevocable ordinance according to the law of the Medes and the Persians that nobody should worship any god for 30 days, offer any prayer to any other god for 30 days besides him. They know Daniel won't change. He's consistently faithful now here's the question, why doesn't Daniel change? And the answer is simple, he doesn't change because his God doesn't change. And because his God doesn't change, his devotion to his God doesn't change. Daniel knows that kings will come and go. He knows that the culture around him will change. He knows that the laws will change. But he will remain the same in his faithfulness to God because he knows that his God and his God's law does not change. So he remains consistently faithful though all changes around him. We have a God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. My friends, that is one of the greatest gifts in the universe. That he's not like the shifting shadows due to change. That he is consistent. You know what to expect from him. You know what he desires. It isn't this one moment and something else another moment. He isn't like this in this moment and like this in another moment. He's fixed. And that helps to undergird and encourage our faithfulness. Because he's one you can trust in. He's one you can depend upon. He's one you can look to. 
The psalmists often do this throughout the psalms, don't they? They would talk about God being a strong tower and a fortress and a refuge and a rock. He's immovable. He's unchangeable. And there's security in that. Second, Daniel also remains consistently faithful, though he has a history of faithfulness. Verse 10, I love the language there. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. As he has always done. This is who he was. He was a man of prayer. He, he just remained consistent in it. He knew that the ordinance had been passed. He knew that this was outlawed, he knew what it meant, and he goes into his house. The windows are already open because they are usually open, and so he keeps them open. This is what he did, and so as he always did, he did again. He got down on his knees and he prayed towards Jerusalem, giving praise and giving thanks and giving intercession to his God. Daniel remains consistently faithful. He doesn't, like so many, rest upon what he has done. You think, hadn't he shown his faithfulness before? And couldn't he just relent for 30 days? He didn't need to do so again, did he? But yesterday's successes grant no right for today's neglect. God is looking for persistent, present faithfulness among his people. Paul says, I press on. Jesus says in Matthew 24, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Too many Christians, we point to our glory days when we were young professionals or when we were in college or when we were in high school. We want to bank upon that. I think if there was someone that loved to regale you with stories about how they incredibly concerned about physical health and all of their stories had to do with their maintaining physical health while they were in high school but now they are a 30 year old man and they weigh 500 pounds you would say well you can't bank upon those days before there's something wrong with your understanding of physical health. If a college student walked into their professor's office because they had asked their professor to write a recommendation for the graduate school that they wanted to attend, and it was a very poor recommendation, and they walked in and they made the argument to their professor, but, but professor, I got good grades when I was in high school. The professor would say, you have something lacking mentally. You didn't have good grades in college. That's what matters as you're going off to graduate school. Past faithfulness belongs to the past. It's a good thing. Stored treasures in heaven. Like an old high school yearbook, there's little point in bringing it out today. God's concerned with our maturity and faithfulness today. And I wonder if a law was passed in our land today, like this one that was passed in Daniel's day, would it affect our daily Christian lives? 
Would it affect us? Would it affect you? Would it affect me? Lack of prayerlessness is a sure sign of a lack of spiritualness. No prayer vitality, no spiritual vitality. And we of all Christians, Reformed Christians who believe in a sovereign God have to know this to be true. The greatest evidence of our believing the Reformed theology we so easily confess is a fervent prayer life. Where there's a lack of prayer in our lives, it shows no matter how much we talk a good game of theology, we don't actually understand the Reformed theology we confess. You believe in a sovereign, omnipotent God enthroned in heaven who ordains all things, then you have a fervent prayer life. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And Daniel shows his faith by how he lives in the present, not yesterday. His faith has feet. It isn't a dry old creed to him. His faith is a life lived with God. He can't go a day without praying to his God. He wants to commune with his God even if it threatens his life, threatens his position. He can't abandon what he does with his God. As an old Presbyterian pastor in the 19th century once said, he said, God's people are marked in the ear and marked in the foot. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Marked in the ear and marked in the foot. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus said, not just followed me, but follow me, present tense. Daniel is consistently faithful, though he has a history of faithfulness. Third, he is also consistently faithful, though the temptation to compromise is small. It's very small. I think at this point, Daniel is a very old man. He is coming to the end of his life. He has lived a life of faithfulness for decades. And not only lived a life of faithfulness for decades, but he lived this life of faithfulness for decades in exile. Away from the people of God. In a pagan nation, in a pagan culture. And he has remained faithful to God over and over and over and over so that there is no fault found within him. And the compromise is small. The decree is only for 30 days. 30 days? Surely he can compromise for 30 days. The compromise is small, but the temptation is great. It's just a small apple. Just a small thing. Just bow the knee and all the kingdoms of the world are yours. It's just a bow of the knee. But Daniel remains faithful even in the small things. I look at his life and I think this was a very small temptation towards the end of his life. And yet it was also the greatest. This is how it often occurs in the Christian life. I think most of us when we start out the Christian life, we think this Christian life will get easier as we continue on. It'll get easier and it'll get easier and it gets easier. And a little further, you get in the Christian life and you think, well, 
maybe it gets easier in the next season. And then you get to the next season and you realize, you know what, this thing doesn't get easier. The temptations that we thought were hard when we were younger in the faith seem like children's play now. There are greater temptations to bear as you get older in the Christian faith. And this is a great mercy of God. He doesn't allow our souls to be overwhelmed when we are small in the faith and when we're immature in the faith. And as we grow in maturity in the faith, the temptations and the trials and the struggles, they often become more because you can handle more. So it is here with Daniel. It's a apparently a very small thing, but it's the greatest temptation, I think, that he faced his entire life. It's the greatest because it was the smallest. The smallest are often the hardest to resist. The smallest whispers of Satan are usually the deadliest. The full-blown affair is easier to resist than scrolling down to the bottom of the news page and lingering over the pictures that are at the bottom. 30 days after a lifetime of service in a pagan land, the relief for Daniel could have been immediate. He could have rationalized a break for 30 days. He could have at least compromised a little and shut his windows and gone from three times to one time. Or maybe he could have just done it during the middle of the night. He was still doing it, but nobody would notice. But he would not change his devotion to God because others decreed that he change. He would remain consistently faithful, though the temptation to compromise was, saw, was small. He saw any slight to God as more than a slight. He wouldn't give in. He fears God more than he fears men. And so he practices his faith openly. I think it would have been difficult to, to practice your faith at any time in this pagan land. And yet you'll notice that all of these enemies of Daniel, they know his faith. And they know his faith in his God. He's openly practicing his faith. And you think if it was difficult before, it's even more difficult now that this law is passed, and yet he openly practices his faith. He knows that, as the apostle said, we must obey God rather than men. And a soul forsaking communion with God, even for 30 days, is a soul that's waved the white flag of surrender. And so he wouldn't do it. He would pray. He would pray as he has always prayed. As followers of God, I think, well, we need to obey those he has placed in authority. We're in fact, I think to bend over as far as we possibly can to obey those who have been placed in authority over us. We're to honor them. God placed them there. And yet, as Daniel does here, we are not to obey when the government commands us to do something God disallows or tells us to refrain from something that God commands. Then, Civil, civil disobedience has a place. It not only has a place, it's our only choice. We must obey God rather than men. 
And I think there's a place for doing this openly, as Daniel does here. His windows are open. He isn't trying to hide it, but he also isn't seeking to exercise his devotion obnoxiously, brazenly, as a poke in the eye to his enemies or those that are around him. He's just doing so faithfully. He's not pursuing martyrdom, but he's also not shrinking back to hide in the shadows. And that's a good line to walk. That when the culture turns against you, that when even the government turns against you, that you don't brazenly seek martyrdom, but you also don't shrink back to the shadows. You openly, as you've, as you've always done, you continue to worship, and continue to openly express your faith. It's a right course of action. I don't need to tell you that our world, our culture, this is the reason we're going through the book of Daniel in the evenings this semester. That it is becoming more hostile to the Christian faith. And you need to stand firm in the faith. I need to stand firm in the faith. And this culture needs you to stand firm in the faith. It needs you to be salt and light. It doesn't know that it's on a path to destruction. It needs the Christian not to shrink to the shadows, but to be salt and light in the culture, in your workplaces, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in your families. It needs you to be salt and light. Just as Daniel was, will you, will I? Will our lives be consistently faithful enough that those in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods can know what to expect from us even as these enemies of Daniel knew what to expect from him? Continued faithfulness. This king has made an ironclad guarantee, so Daniel is thrown into the lion's den as the law demanded, and notice what he says of Daniel in verse 16. He says, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. This was true of Christ when the plot of his enemies was realized. Daniel is cast in and a stone is rolled in front of the den, so the stone was rolled in front of the tomb, and as the tomb was stationed with guards to try and prevent Christ from emerging from the grave as he had promised to do, so this den is sealed with the seal of this king and all of his high officials so that Daniel can't just emerge. Daniel is very much a type of Christ to come. Now, as Daniel arose from the den, so Christ arises from the tomb. He's a man of faith who points to the man of faith. The one who would be falsely accused and the one who would be handed over to his enemies despite his faithfulness and subjected to torment and buried only to emerge in glory. Daniel's pointing forward to that one to come. I've wondered, 
Maybe it's not good to wonder, but I wonder. Daniel in the den, he says that an angel of the Lord was there to shut the mouths of the lions. I wonder if it was just an angel or I wonder if it was the angel of the Lord. I don't know. And I wonder what the conversation was during the night as the mouth of these lions was shut by this angel. And Daniel, in the rest of the book, he will be so caught up with this Son of Man that is going to come, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. His entire life is aimed at that. And I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if that was the conversation in the, the den that night between an angel or the angel of the Lord and Daniel. don't know. Find out. When we get to glory, it will be my first question for Daniel. Regardless, our last point, you'll see that peace accompanies the kingdom. You see two very different postures during this night. The king and his palace seemingly in control of all the world, and yet he spends the night sleepless. He rolls on his bed. He's gripped with fear because he cannot control what is happening. Whereas Daniel, Daniel enjoys peace because he knows the one that controls all things and holds all things together in the palm of his hand. So the king rushes to the den in the morning and he calls out to Daniel, probably expecting to hear no reply or at least to hear the reply of the lions that are inside. Daniel replies, I, I might have replied with some choice words for the king and for his people that had put me in that place, but not Daniel. Ever the man of character, he yells forth, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm, and no harm was done to him. God's people know a peace that the world can never know. You have this King Darius who has all authority and all rule and all power. And yet he establishes a law that he can't even undo. He does a thing that he can't undo, and he has no peace. That Daniel is thrown into a lion's den, and he has complete and utter peace. The storms can be raging, and we are still. The lions can be roaring, and we are content because we know the one who reigns. And it's not Darius, it's not Belshazzar, it's not Darius or Nebuchadnezzar, it's not disease, it's not death, it's not hell, it's not our enemies, it's not Satan, it is God enthroned above. The same God of Daniel. And this is what calls forth our faith and our faithfulness. The kingdom of light has triumphed over the kingdom of darkness. You see, even Darius has to confess this. He says, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. The kingdom of light triumphs over the kingdom of darkness. So we can remain faith-filled, and we can remain faithful. Because Christ came forth from the tomb. As we looked at this morning, it's finished. 
so we can have peace. Was it a fight for Daniel? Sure it was. Faith is always a fight. But there's peace in the fight. Does that mean that we will always be spared every trial or always deliver from each tribulation? No. In Hebrews 11, we see the list of those who were consistently faithful, and Daniel is referred to there, but so there are others who were sawn in two, who were stoned and mocked and flogged and killed with the sword, the writer of Hebrews says, but they were also all more than conquerors. Every single one. And all are enjoying their heavenly reward. And so the author of Hebrews says this to us. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses of who Daniel is one, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, Daniel is a great example. Christ is an even better example. With Christ, all things are possible no matter what den we're thrown into, no matter what waters we are forced to swim, no matter what trial comes. He goes before us, and he's with us, even as he was with Daniel. And so you and I can seek to live continually, faithfully to the Lord. The words that are said of Daniel be able to be said of us. It would be a good epitaph for us. Let's pray. The Lord and our God, we are thankful that you are a faithful God. You do not change. You are more consistently faithful than any man who has ever lived. And even any angel who has appeared before your throne. For you have been faithful for all of eternity. We're thankful that that is sure ground for us to live faith-filled and faithful lives to your glory. May you help us to do so. By your grace, by the presence of Christ in our lives, by the encouragement of the Spirit, and by your sustainment. In Christ's holy name we pray.